The following audio is from White River Christian Church. More information about White River is available on the WRCC mobile app or at wrcc.org. Well, good morning. Oh, you're going to have to catch up to me this morning, I'm telling you. Uh, Get your journal out. We're going to go to Psalm 2. I'm super excited to continue this series. It's personal this morning. Uh, We're going to be talking about Psalm 2 in reference to how God is our King. We've been going through the Psalms and talking about how uh, this is a personal relationship that we have. And this morning we want to take a view and a picture of Him being our King. Before we do, I'm going to pray for us, ask the Holy Spirit to move in and amongst us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to gather together to worship you And this morning, we confess that we need the help of your Holy Spirit uh, to change our hearts, to align ourselves to uh, who you are as the King. Help us to do that this morning. We uh, love you. We're grateful for the opportunity to worship you this morning. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Hey, we're going to jump right into Psalm 2 this morning. We're going to take it. There's a couple things I want you to know before we jump in. We're going to take it kind of three verses at a time. I'm not going to read it in its entirety yet. I'm going to wait till the end to do that because we need to really understand uh, who is speaking or being spoke of in the midst of this. Okay, so first we're going to take a little couple chunks at a time. Second, this is called a messianic psalm. What that means is uh, it points towards the Messiah. It's prophecy of the Messiah to come. Okay. Uh, you need to know that. It's also, this is just a fun fact, uh, probably the, it is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. So if you look up uh, the New Testament and look at psalms being referenced, uh, Psalm 2 will be the greatest referenced psalm out of the New Testament. Uh, we'll see why a little bit as we jump into this. Last thing I want you to know is this. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but I have, where you've been in a room where there's two people having a conversation and it starts to get a little intense. And you're wondering, why am I in here, right? And you kind of want to do one of these things where you're like, I'm just going to slide out this way, right? That's kind of what's taking place this morning. Okay? There's this kind of back and forth that's taking place. And you and I, I want us to sit on the outside of it and just look in. Okay? I want us to take this passage from that vantage point. Uh, try to fight the urge to put yourself somewhere in this. Just listen to what the psalmist is taking us back and forth between, okay? All right, here we go. Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, every single section, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out there. We know the psalmist who wrote this is David. Uh, Acts chapter 4 tells us that. But uh, he is taking on different voices in the midst of this. He's going to take on four different voices. So to the left, uh, I would love for you to just write the rebellious rulers. That is who we were talking about here. And then he takes on their voice. And we see this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? We start with this question. The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers, uh, set themselves, uh, excuse me, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. The rulers and kings, what we learn, especially by the last verse of this little section, is that they don't really like God. They don't want God to be a part of their life because to them, God is doing what? God is bonding them. 
Right, it says here, but quote from the kings and the rulers, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They see God as this person who is a bondage bringer. He is bringing the bondage that we live in and I can't do what I want to do. And so what do they choose to do? Well, they set themselves against the Lord and then they go find other rulers to take counsel that think the same way so that, hey, it's not just me, it's all of us that don't like you, God. And so, so here they are seeing this picture of you are the one who brings us bondage. You are the bondage bringer. This past week, uh, actually probably about a week ago, uh, a little over a week ago, I got to have a conversation with one of my dear family members. And, and it started because I sent a, a text message asking just a, a simple question about church. And it ended in a conversation where he and I were talking. And he said, listen, Lance, there's a reason I don't go to church right now. I wasn't asking this at all. The conversation just kind of got here and he threw it out there, right? There's a reason I don't go to church right now. He's like, because when I look at what it looks like to follow Jesus, uh, I see some of the things that I would need to do. And there's some things that I really enjoy about this life that I don't think line up with what it looks like to be a Christian and follow Jesus. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I want to be all in. as I was thinking to myself as he's talking, like, one, I'm so thankful for his honesty before me. Hey, there are some things about this world that I really love, and I don't want to give those up, and so I don't think I can follow him wholeheartedly. But it also broke my heart. Because what I hear in his voice is the same thing you hear in the king's and the ruler's voices. That God is this one who came to bring me bondage. He's a bondage bringer. But you see, you and I, we know But that's not true. That if you really have a relationship with Jesus, he's not a bondage bringer, he's a bondage breaker. We know that that Jesus would ultimately come and go to a cross for you and I and die for our sins so that we don't have to be bound to them any longer. In fact, Jesus says of himself, what? That his burden is light, right? His, His yoke is easy. That's not the picture that we get from the rulers and the kings of this time. And David introduces them as, hey, here is the kings and the rulers. And they are not okay with God. They're not okay with the way he brings them, in their eyes, bondage. Then we hit verse 4, where he takes on now the voice, same writer, same psalmist, David, taking on the voice now of God the Father. You can write that next to 4 through 6. He says this, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I want you to take a a couple notes of what is taking place, right? We gave you these journals and maybe you didn't get a chance to read this one because you maybe got it a little later, uh, but hopefully you go back to Psalm 2 or just jot down notes as we go through it this morning. But take notice of what God's doing. He who sits on his throne. Right? God, God isn't up there or wherever he might be, uh, looking down on the rulers and kings and think, pacing back and forth like, oh, what are we going to do with these guys? Like, they're going to they're gonna overthrow me. Like, what's happening? You know, like, he, he's not doing that. He's up there sitting on his throne. Why is he sitting? Because they're not a threat to him. Because he can see the whole picture. He knows that he doesn't have to be threatened by the kings of Psalm 2 or the rulers of the New Testament or even today. 
He sits enthroned in heaven where he sees the entire picture. And then notice what it says. He sits in the heavens and laughs. And you wonder, what kind of laugh is that? It's a mocking laugh. Let me answer that for you. We know that because the next verse, the Lord holds them in derision. He is laughing at them because here these kings and these rulers think they know what's best for them and their people and for God. So I started to think about how can I explain this to you? Uh, And this happened, no kidding, this past week, Monday night. My wife and I did not coordinate schedules very well. We both had a meeting at the exact same time. And so we're like, we're just going to leave the kids at home. They'll be fine, right? They got a way of contacting us. Surely they won't burn the house down. So we leave. It's a lot of faith, right? I know. We leave. Uh, and we go to our meetings, and I get home first, and I come through the front door in our house. If you come through the front door, right there to your right is our living room with our little sectional couch, and in the corner is where my son loves to sit. And so as I opened the door, and I did it pretty quickly, not intentionally, I just did. I was just, you know, got the key in and turned to open the door, and my son is sitting there on the couch, you know, with his, like, leg up like this, and he goes. <laughs> right? <laughs> I come in the door, and it's just like. And I laughed. And so I'm like, what? are you kidding me? I saw that. You know, <laughs> whatever is in your hand is now probably in the crest of the couch, right? Like, and I laughed at him. And even slowly, as you saw it in his mind, you know, like a kid's that age, you can kind of see the wheels turning. He realized, like, this is dad. Dad's right there. There's no way I'm getting out of this. He's my authority. I'm just going to go ahead and show him the half-eaten ice cream cone I almost just put in the couch, right? (laughs) Now, he knows. He didn't ask me if he could have that. We're about ready to go to bed, so no, we don't eat ice cream right before bed in the Stockton household, right? And I could have, in that moment, as the authority in my son's life, walked over and punished him. I could have taken the ice cream cone and chucked the rest of it in the trash can. Told him he can't eat ice cream for the rest of the year. Right? I could have done a lot of things. But I stood there from the entryway and I just laughed. Was I mocking him? A little bit. Like you really thought you were going to hide that from me behind your leg? That's what God does when he looks at the rulers and the kings of this world. Oh, you, you think you know what's best for you. You think you know what's best for your, you think you know what I should do. (laughs) That's cute. Right? That's what what he's doing here. God who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You see, God already had his plan. He already knew the who, what, when, where, and why of Jesus in Psalm 2. My king. I'm going to set him on Zion. And you, little kings and rulers, you won't even be around to see it. I already know what I'm going to do. And when we take a step back and we look into this picture, what I see What I hope you see is that my king is the only sovereign king. Our king, he's the only sovereign king. He's the only one who sits on a throne and can see the whole picture. Sovereign means a supreme power and authority. That's our king. 
So the kings of the earth and the rulers of the earth, they don't bother him. He's not worried about what they're going to do or what they're going to say or how they're going to try to uprise or if they're going to get other people to bring them together. He does not care. It doesn't threaten him. Charles Spurgeon tells this story of a Roman emperor named Diocletian. He lived between and reigned between 245 and 303 AD. He was considered one of the greatest foes of Christianity of his time. And he had a uh, medal which bore the inscription, the name of Christianity be extinguished. Diocletian uh, extended the frontier of the empire to the west where he erected two monuments proclaiming, Diocletian, Jovian, Maximian, Herculeus, Caesareus, Augusti, for having extinguished the Roman Empire in the east and the west, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the Republic to ruin. Right? The guy's got six names. There's a little bit of an issue right there, okay? Like, he's got six names, and he is claiming on this monument that he has brought Christianity to its end. He builds another one with his six names started out. I'm not going to read them again. For having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ and for having extended the worship of the gods. And I ask you this morning, when was the last time you heard of Diocletian? When was it? You don't know that name. Maybe you heard it in a history book. But thousands of people join us this morning around the world to worship one name, to worship the King of Kings, the only name by which we find salvation, the way, the truth, the life, Jesus. Oh gosh, I'm getting, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna preach. I'm gonna preach this morning, all right? I'm gonna preach this morning. Diocletian, Diocletian, come on, give me a break. You haven't heard that name. There's a reason why. Because he's dead and gone. And Jesus is alive and here. Our king is the only sovereign king. He moves on to the next section. Verse 7 says this, and it's it, put next to this Jesus Christ, because this is who we hear now. David tells us, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So important that you understand verse 7 because it, it is founded and it's found validity in the fact that it is quoted twice in the New Testament. Verse 7 is. Once at Jesus' baptism and once at the transfiguration. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. He, he, listen, Jesus is saying, this is what God said to me. He said, hey, I'll, I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. He did that. You and I know that. We can read about it in the New Testament. In Psalm 2, David, he didn't know that. He wasn't going to see how that took place. And what happens when Jesus comes? Well, Jesus, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Hmm. It's this idea that the, the kingdoms and the kings and the rulers, they can just be shattered like a vessel. 
In fact, we see that in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles or not your journal, but another Bible, I'm going to go to the New Testament and you can join me. But Acts chapter 4, we see this very thing take place. It's in Acts chapter 4 that we see Peter and John begin to preach the gospel, preach about this Jesus, this king, and they heal somebody, uh, this, this beggar. They heal this crippled man, and then all of a sudden, who shows up? The, the Sanhedrin. They're like, how are you? We want to know by what authority and power you're doing this. And so eventually what they do is they end up arresting them, and they bring them where? They bring them before the kings and the rulers of that day. It says this uh, in verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They're bringing them to who? The rulers and the kings. God's not afraid of that. And by an act of the Holy Spirit, neither Peter and John Peter and John explained, hey, this is how we did it. And when they get done explaining how they did it, the crowd so much believes them that they just have to let him go. And so it says in verse 23, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of the heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by your holy servant through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, this is Psalm 2. Where were the nations? Why, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this is what has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Antipas, and Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. What does Psalm 2 say? I have already set my king on Zion. I already knew these guys were going to rise up and try to defeat us. And from my throne where I sit, I'm going to laugh. As I put Jesus where he belongs. And now, O oh Lord, hear the threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. I have already set my king on Zion. My king is the only sovereign king. And he does not get threatened by the kings and rulers of Psalm 2. He does not get threatened by the kings and rulers of Acts chapter 4. And he does not get threatened by the kings and rulers of this day. He does not. Jesus says, God told me I'll break them with a rod of iron. I'll dash them to pieces like the potter's vessels. My king is the only sovereign king. And then verses 3 through 12 is the Holy Spirit. David takes on the voice of the Holy Spirit, speaks to us, to the kings. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. 
Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Listen, kings, be wise. Be warned, rulers. And then he gives them two options. Pretty clear options. You serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling and kiss the sun, or lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Just two. Think about this for just a second. In this moment, God could have just wiped the rulers and kings off the earth. God could have looked at them conspiring and getting together and deciding how they were going to come at God, and he could have just went like that. And they would have been gone. But he didn't. Jesus is being beaten and taken to the cross. He could have just done this, and it would have been over. Peter and John are standing before these men, and he could have just wiped them out in a second, and yet he doesn't. Why? 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Why? Because he's gracious. Why? Because he wants a relationship with you. Why? Because he wants a relationship with me. Why? Because he wants a relationship with the kings and the rulers. He doesn't do it because he's being slow. He does it so that we have time to repent and turn to him because the greatest thing that kings and rulers could do is choose to serve the Lord with fear. And listen, this is not like a a fear that maybe you think when you you think of the word fear. I I think about my son, right? right? He, He immediately hides his ice cream cone. Why? Because dad walked in the room, right? And dad has the ability to punish said son, right? I, I, now, it's not like he lives in fear and eats his dinner, you know, in the corner, like scared to death of me. He doesn't do that, right? My son sees me. He runs to me and gives me a hug. Every night before I leave his bedroom, he's telling me I love you as I'm walking out of the room. But trust me, there's a little bit of fear in my son about his dad, and there should be. Because it's my job to, to oversee him, to lead him, uh, to do what is best for him, even when he doesn't like it. And the same is true of our God. If you're not, there's not a little bit of fear in you because he is sovereign. He has supreme power and authority. Then, then you might not understand that fully. Because honestly, when I step back and I think about the fact that he knows everything that's happening in my life and that he is overseeing it all, and especially in this world, the world we live in, and he's got control, like that kind of scares me a little bit. Like I'm like, okay, you, you're all right. I'll serve you. I get it. You're in control and I'm not. And therefore I sit over here as Philip and the team does a wonderful job doing what? Allowing me to rejoice with trembling. Because that God is the God that I worship. That God is the God that I serve. The only sovereign God is the one who is on my side and is in relationship with me. Oh, Then it says, uh, kiss the sun. 
This would have immediately taken you to the thought of royalty and the fact that when you kiss someone of royalty and they extend their hand and you kiss that hand, it's a sign of humility as you come before them. If the kings and the rulers were willing to do this, it says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. But if not, but if not, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Now that we've gone through all four verses, sections, let me read this to you in its entirety. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, and I, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like the potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That is my sovereign king, the only sovereign king. And I wonder, do you know him? Watch this video about my king. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the people. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. 
His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. But they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been. And he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor. And he'll have no successor. You can't even beat him. And he's not going to resign. Dr. Lagridge was a wonderful preacher, and he asked the question, I wonder, do you know him? Because the question I get left with is, as we stand on the outside of this picture, of the kings and the rulers and the God who already set his king in Zion, I was led, my own, as Fred says, chicken scratches this morning to end this thing. And I wrote down these two questions. What bearer do you need Jesus to break with a rod of iron? What obstacle do you need Jesus to dash in pieces like the potter's vessel? Because for you and I, as Christians, our first call and our highest priority is to be right with God. Because we will never be right with others if we are not right with him first. And you have a choice today. And that choice is to serve the Lord in fear and to rejoice in trembling and to kiss the Son because our King is the only sovereign King. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you that in Psalm 2, you knew exactly what you were going to do. You weren't worried about kings and rulers conspiring over here against you because you had your sights set on Calvary and bringing your King to Zion. Thank you that this morning, that king, King Jesus, sits at your right hand on a throne and is not worried just as you aren't about what is happening in our world because you are in control, because you are sovereign, because you have supreme power and authority. And this morning, we desire to serve you with fear and to rejoice with trembling and to humbly come before the Son and to say with boldness, that's my king. We pray these things in your powerful, almighty, and precious name, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.